Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, something I've found over the years is that people use the word gospel to mean all sorts of different things. So people say, you know, I'm committed to the gospel or I, I want to preach the gospel. I want to live according to the gospel. But what do they mean precisely when they say this? Well, the word, as we know, literally means good news, right? Euangelion, gospel. But what, what good news? I found for a lot of people, gospel seems like a, a shorthand or a code for living a good life, you know, or doing the right thing or being committed to social justice. I'm for the gospel. Well, we have a wonderful text for our first reading today that's taken from Paul's second letter to his young disciple and friend, Timothy. And one of the things that makes it wonderful is that it, it contains a very pithy summation of what St. Paul meant by the word gospel. Now, here's one of the first evangelists, one of the first preachers of the good news. What did he mean when he used the word gospel? Now, listen. Beloved, he says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David. Such is my gospel for which I'm suffering. Well, there it is. Gospel does not primarily mean something at the ethical level. It'll have ethical implications, don't get me wrong. It is not a proclamation of a vague spirituality or religiosity, though I think a, a legitimate spirituality will come from it. A religion, we could say, will, will grow around it. But it's not primarily a, a declaration of a spirituality. It is a declaration, listen now, concerning a very particular first century Jew called Yeshua or Jesus in Paul's Greek who bears the remarkable title Christos. That's the Greek rendering of the Hebrew Mashiach, which means the anointed one. So the gospel that Paul preaches, the gospel of, of the first century preachers, is about this Yeshua, Mashiach. This Jesus, the Christos or the anointed one. It's more specifically good news about him. It's not about social justice, not about being a good person, not about having a heart of gold. It's a claim. It's a declaration about this man. Well, what precisely? That he's been raised from the dead. Now, there it is, everybody. That's 
the good news. Everything else in Christianity revolves around, comes back to that claim. So, everything from Chartres Cathedral to the Summa Theologiae of Thomas Aquinas to the life of Mother Teresa of Calcutta and everything in between, it all comes back to this declaration that this first century Jew called Yeshua, who bears the title Mashiach or Anointed One, has been raised from the dead. Our understanding of ourselves, of our world, the nature of God, all of it comes from this fundamental claim. You know, speaking of that, I've always liked what the Protestant theologian Robert uh, Jensen said one time. Someone asked this great theologian to characterize God. You know, who is God? He didn't say, oh, he's the creator, the unmoved mover. He's the perfect reality. He didn't use philosophical language. You know what he said? He said, he's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, see, there's a theology that is charismatic that goes back to the original proclamation of the good news. Okay, what's the first implication of the good news? It is that God's love is more powerful than anything that is in the world. So again, go back to Paul, now to the Romans, who says, Neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither height nor depth nor any other creature could ever separate us from the love of God. How does Paul know that? Because God has conquered through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead the powers of darkness that govern human society and culture, yes, and, and the great power that broods over the whole of life, the power of death. God's love is more powerful than anything that is in the world. Boy, from that implication has come all the works of Christian social justice, all the works of resistance to tyranny and evil, all of the insouciance and confidence of the saints, even in the presence of the threat of death. Think of all the martyrs. It comes from this implication of the good news that God's love is more powerful than any of the powers of the world even than the power of death itself. What's the second implication of the good news? Well, it's contained in that little word that Paul attaches as a descriptor to Jesus, namely Christos, or anointed one, Mashiach. In a Jewish context, this meant kingship. Why? Why? Well, because the anointed one, they would have recognized as the new David. Because the definitive Mashiach in the Old Testament tradition was David. Remember the prophet Samuel anoints David. And then we hear the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And David becomes the paradigmatic king of Israel. right? The one that drew the tribes together, who established under himself a great empire. He's a sort of new Adam figure reigning over a restored Garden of Eden. All of that was associated with King David. And Paul makes it even more explicit now in the same letter to Timothy when he describes Jesus as a descendant of David. So the implication now is because Jesus has been raised from the dead, he is the rightful king of the world. 
king of the Jews, and by extension, king of the world. The Romans, you know, had a saying that was used uh, in Jesus' time, almost as a formal greeting. Someone would say, Kaiser Curios. I mean, Caesar's the Lord, Caesar's the king. So you'd say, Kaiser Curios, and someone would respond, yes, Kaiser Curios, that we're both under the lordship of Caesar. It means that you were stating your allegiance and claiming that, no, no, not Kaiser, but Jesus is Christos or Jesus is Curios. And Paul uses that word a lot too. What he's doing is turning this completely upside down. Jesus is now the one to whom we owe final allegiance. Now, why? why? Well, because he's been raised from the dead. He's been given this authority by his father. Now, Jesus is the one to whom we owe our final allegiance. And from this follows immediately and logically the next point that Paul makes. Listen. This gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of chains, like a criminal. See, everybody, here's the point. The, the Roman authorities knew exactly the import of Paul's good news. And that's why they threw him in jail. They knew the point he was making was properly subversive. The challenge for us now, 2,000 some years later, how thoroughly do we stand athwart the powers of the world? Are we in any danger from the secular state because of our embrace of the gospel? Same gospel, by the way, Jesus Christ risen from the dead is a challenge to anyone that claims our ultimate allegiance. Are we in any trouble because of our declaration of the gospel? Paul certainly was. Let's stay with that idea of the lordship of Jesus for a moment. Jesus curios, Jesus the Lord. To say that Jesus is Lord, and not just an inspiring religious teacher, that's what everyone says today, right? Just line him up alongside the other great spiritual figures. But to say that Jesus is Lord is to say he must dominate every aspect of our lives. See, dominus in Latin is just the rendering of curios. Does Jesus have lordship over every room in your house? If I can put it that way. Oh yeah, I pay a lot of attention to him on Sunday morning every week. That's not enough. Oh yeah, he's the most important religious figure for me. No, that's not enough. Jesus Curios, Jesus Dominus, Jesus the Lord, which is an implication of his resurrection from the dead, must dominate your life. Now, here's a final implication of Paul's gospel, also in our reading for today. He says, if we persevere, we shall also reign with him. It's very interesting now. And I don't think we Christians think about this nearly enough. Jesus is Lord, but those who accept his lordship 
participate in his governance of the world. See, it's not like Jesus just wants to boss us around. He wants to draw us, if you want, into his army. He wants to command us that we might do his work. That means that we should be leaven, salt, and light to the world, bearers of the Lord's presence to every aspect of our society. We, if you want to put it this way, co-rule with Jesus in the great work of transforming the world. And so, and so, the church is not just a collectivity of those who have privately decided to follow Jesus. Rather, it's the body of those who've committed themselves under his lordship to the transformation of the world. What will this co-ruling with Jesus always involve? Suffering. Listen to Paul again. Therefore, I bear with everything for the sake of those who are chosen. The rule of the followers of Jesus takes place through the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, through our willingness to bear the burdens of others in love. Okay, there we have it. Go back to 2 Timothy. Take a look at this passage again. In a matter of 20 lines, the gospel and its principal implications are spelled out. Now, we just have to live it. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.